Hello, friends. Um, welcome to episode 49 of Unfiltered. I'm super, super excited for this week's episode. Today, I interviewed um, Simmer Bajaj, who is um, a fellow pre-med student at Harvard, and we have medical ethics and history together, um, and we also took math together last year. And um, he just has a really interesting perspective on all things medicine. He has his own podcast called That Medic. You should check it out. Um, and yeah, he's just, he's very knowledgeable, um, has a lot to say. This is, this is really cool. I think one thing that I love about podcasting that I've mentioned before is just the ability to bring people's stories um, to a platform and to be able to share other people's stories and let them speak on you know their experience, their history, their background. I think Simmer's story is really interesting. Um, so hope you guys enjoy. Um, my favorites for this week have been they're all songs, <laughs> um, but Last Minute by Sam McPherson is a great song. Um, Halfway Up by The Brook on the Bluff, Green Tea Ice Cream by Matt Damona, and then, of course, the uh, album Donda by Kanye West. I think there's a few good ones on there, um, but I think, I think there are some songs that I, I haven't listened. I haven't listened to the full album yet, um, so I definitely need to. I also think I need to give some songs a second chance, but for the most part, I've really enjoyed it. And my highlights for this week. Um, so because I am a, I'm a PATH or a peer advising fellow, I had to give a tour of Harvard um, to my PATHies. It was interesting because I have never been in some of these buildings that I was giving a tour of because my year was virtual. So low-key winging it, um, but I really hope it was helpful for them. Um, I studied in Widener Library for the first time. It's amazing. Oh my gosh, the, the room is... The quiet room is huge and it's 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 very quiet. So I was kind of scared to make some noise, but it was fun. I also studied in Lamont Library for the first time, which I think is a way more um, noise friendly environment. And that was a, a much more cozy environment, um, which is nice. I had convocation, which is this big Harvard event for first years, um, where when you become convocated, you're officially a part of Harvard's community. And because my year was virtual, we didn't have a convocation. So my class, the class of 2024, got our own convocation in the yard. We took our class photo. Um, and yeah, first sophomore convocation in all of Harvard's history. So that was exciting. And then right after that, I went to the freshman convocation for the entryway that I'm a path for. So it was just a day of being convocated. Um, and uh, this is the first week of classes. And it was just so amazing to be able to walk around and bump into people. Um, I spent most of my time in the Science Center. It was really cool to just like walk from lecture hall to lecture hall. And sitting in an in-person class was amazing. And you know, I thought it would be this huge deal. But honestly, I was sitting there and I was like, this feels normal. Like This is what it should be. And you know, being able to sit there was just, uh, it, I think, a, a result of COVID is that it's made us really grateful for for the little things and you know the little things like sitting in the lecture hall just made me so happy. One thing I really realized is that I always have to sit on the end of the row on the left side for those left-handed desks because I'm left-handed and um, I don't know it's like I have a little seat assigned for me and that, that's just, I don't know, that was so random, but that's just been something I've realized um, only this week. 
And, you know, my schedule is actually pretty heavy because I have to go into lab twice a week. And so I have to block out those big chunks of time. And so I can't really schedule any sections. So all my sections are on like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then Tuesday, Thursday, I'm going into lab. Oh my gosh, my schedule is so hectic, but I really actually like it that way. And I've been having a lot of fun, like meeting new people, grabbing meals with people, um, yeah, eating breakfast in Annenberg has been so fun because I never got that experience. So yeah. And then another thing that was really exciting was the activities fair. So my roommate and I are, uh, my roommate is the president and I'm the vice president of this club called Global Women's Empowerment. So we ran our own booth and we got 110 signups, um, which is amazing. And this is just so exciting. We're so excited to, to revive this club. Um, and yeah, it was that was just so fun. And um, yeah, it's been a great week, a hectic week. Uh, we have Monday off for Labor Day, um, which will be fun. And I think I'm planning on going to an HKA, which is Harvard Korean Association Social by the River, um, hang out with some people and yeah, maybe get some work done. But I think I'm in a really, really great place right now and I'm really grateful for it. Also, another thing is this past Friday, we celebrated a friend's birthday. Um, so if you're listening to this, happy birthday, Justin. Happy late birthday, I guess. But yeah, that's gonna wrap up the intro. I hope you guys enjoy this really, really inspiring and, and packed episode with Simmer. Thank you, Simmer, for joining me. And without further ado, let's get on to the first segment. Hello everyone, I'm currently sitting next to Simmer. Um, if you want to give a little intro of yourself, go ahead. Yeah, so I'm a sophomore at Harvard, um, originally from the Bay Area, born and raised there. I'm really interested in medicine, history, um, more generally the medical humanities and trying to, and trying to find other interdisciplinary uh, interdisciplinary study uh, studies and fields that really try to merge together different perspectives, and I think that just um, that's a lot of what who I am and a lot of my interests. Yeah, that's so awesome. And Simmer actually has his own podcast um, <laughs> called That Medic. Just a little plug. It's actually really cool. He interviews a bunch of different doctors and physicians. Um, so I know I have this question towards the end, but I just wanted to know why you started your podcast and what it means to you. Yeah, so I started my podcast about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was sort of a pandemic project mm-hmm. that I'm, I'm in the pandemic, have a lot more time on my hands. Um, what can I do that's meaningful and impactful that's going to give me something that's stimulating and important? And I thought podcasting might be the solution. I have a friend from the UK, Raja. Um, he first approached me saying, hey, you want to start a podcast? I was like, why a podcast? I already have my blog. Um, and for, I mean, I think I began to realize just talking with him and listening to other podcasts that the voice is a really powerful medium to convey ideas, um, talk to people, right? Um, in a way that I think blogs are increasingly not, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was, I mean, a lot of what I care about is health literacy and trying to see that medicine is something that's often not very democratic, right? That for the everyday person, you can go to WebMD, you can go to the Mayo Clinic, um, but going to the journals, you're often hit by a paywall. So the idea behind the podcast was, what if we could interview leaders in the space, get their advice and their stories and pathways for students and make that as 
democratic as any other podcast mm-hmm. out there, mm-hmm. right? Where you don't have to pay anything, you can just listen, mm-hmm. tune in, um, and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a really amazing mission to begin with. And then to combine that, I think there's added the benefit of being able to talk to really interesting individuals yeah. and be able to hear their stories. And then the power of sharing their stories is just such a such a gratifying thing to be able to do. Yeah, I think that's that must also be such a rewarding experience for you because mm-hmm. you're interested in medicine. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I get inspired listening to it. I can't imagine how you would feel, but... Oh, no, um, I, I, I fanboy <laughs> out all the time. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's, your mind. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Um, but, okay, I guess that's a good segue into just, like, the overall topic of medicine. So, yeah. Simmer and I are both pre-med, um, <laughs> and we actually have a medical ethics and history class together. Um, but like before we dive into like the medical ethics and all that, I just wanted to know like your background with medicine, your interest in right. it. Have you always wanted to go into it? Why do you want to go into it? So yeah, take yeah. it away. So I think a lot of my interest started when I was much younger, mm. um, about nine years old. Um, my uncle, he served in the U.S. Air Force and um, he was deployed to Afghanistan around that time. And um, we would Skype back then. I know Skype was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> there was no Zoom, but no, we would Skype back then. And he would tell me about how he would be treating U.S. Air Force personnel, how he would be treating NATO personnel, but also how he would be treating Al-Qaeda and Taliban members. And at nine years old, I was like, why are you treating the bad guys? They're the bad guys, right? That's what you hear in the news. And he told me that the reason why was because medicine doesn't care who you are. It treats you because you're human. And that was really inspiring to a nine-year-old like me. And I was just thinking, I want to be just like my uncle. I want to save the world. I want to, I want to treat everyone the same, right? Like whether they're good or bad, that can be decided by someone else. But for me as a doctor, my job is to treat you. Yeah. And I thought that was just incredibly noble. Um, I think the reality of medicine is a lot different, of course. Yeah. And there's a lot of inequities and disparities. Um, and I think that that motivates me, actually, I don't, I, in an interesting way that it doesn't discourage me, it doesn't make me feel that, oh, my, my uncle lied to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But more that medicine is an avenue and a way to sort of attempt to correct these long-standing inequities and begin working towards this paragon my uncle set up. Yeah. And um, I was shadowing once in high school, and um, the surgeon asked me why I was interested in medicine. I told him, you know, I want to save lives, I want to treat everyone the same. And um, what he told me was, if you want to save lives, go be a pilot. Mm-hmm. You save 300 lives every time you fly. Mm-hmm. I was like, gosh, that's a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> so um, for me, I mean, I think his larger point was, medicine is a great way to save lives and make an impact. There are many other ways to save lives and make an impact. Why do you want to do it through medicine? And I think other contributing factors for me wanting to pursue a career in medicine have been just loving the science, yeah. um, being in the operating room and seeing our, our patients and just feeling the magnitude of what, what it means, right? For example, for a patient to consent to someone yeah. operating on them, cutting mm-hmm. them open, mm-hmm. right? Um, with the idea of trying to make their condition better. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think I, I've loved every minute of it, right? Yeah. Volunteering and um, giving patients, um, I, I mean, doing glucose screenings for patients who don't even have an idea that they have diabetes or uninsured. And I think the my experiences have confirmed to me that this is how i want to save lives yeah. there are many different ways but this is how i want to make an impact i can feel the passion just <laughs> radiating from somewhere. that's amazing um as you we were talking i was just thinking about you know something we were talking about earlier about um we were discussing how medicine is really one of the purest jobs that you can do yeah. um i think 
a lot of jobs nowadays are very fueled by, you know, maybe the wrong things, Um, maybe financial, maybe, I don't know, you're trying to network, um, maybe reputation. I think medicine is, going into medicine, you're going to have perhaps a very prestigious title Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, you're going to be well off. And I was really inspired by, you know, what you're saying of trying to, make medicine very egalitarian, um, trying to help everyone regardless of who they are. And I think that that is really a very pure reason to go into medicine. But do you think that there are people, well, there definitely are people, but I guess what are your thoughts on people going into medicine for the wrong reasons? Yeah. I mean, I think, as you said, medicine is an old profession. Mm -hmm. And I think I briefly mentioned that earlier, but the idea of someone, I mean, hospital is a place nobody ever wants to go. Mm-hmm. And to be a physician, to be a doctor, um, or any healthcare worker, and be able to help someone in one of the darkest moments of their life is something incredibly powerful and incredibly meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, but simultaneously, as you know, there are people who don't go into it for the quote-unquote right reasons. Yeah. And I mean, there are many there are many ways for that. Maybe they go into it for the stability. Mm-hmm. Maybe they go into it for the, like, just that it offers high pay, right? Or that it looks good, or someone has told them that they should be a doctor. I mean, I think there's a variety of reasons here. Some of them are individual-based, some of them are just more systemic and can be family-based. But I think in general, I mean, it's disheartening. And I think that you have to want to go, I guess, because you love the field, because you love the mission of medicine. Um, because it's a long path. Yeah. I think we were talking about earlier. It I want to be a... Path. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to be a cardiothoracic surgeon. That's four years of medical school and seven years of residency at minimum. Um, if you don't have, you might even take some years for research. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a long path to do for something that you just want money um, or you just want stability. There are many ways yeah. to get money. There's many ways to get stability. Right. Um, you can go to finance, you can go to consulting, right? So I think it really comes down to this has to be something you really want to do mm-hmm. because it's difficult as, yeah. as many paths in life are. And, and I hope that <laughs> for better or for worse, the process weeds out people who um, aren't going into it for the right reasons, don't have that internal motivation. Mm. So do you think that people, I guess doctors who went into medicine for the quote-unquote wrong reasons, do you think that is really evident in their practice? I guess this really Mm -hmm. ties to like medical ethics, like how doctors will treat their patients. Um, And yeah, and then versus a doctor who really loves the field, how do you think um, their love for the field would really be evident in, in their practice. Yeah. I mean, I think something that comes up quite a bit is burnout, the idea of burnout. Mm, and a it's a point. huge issue um, with physicians. I don't have the exact um, percentage on hand, but it's it's a, something like a quarter mm. of physicians will experience burnout, if not more. And I mean, that's just a harrowing statistic, right? That, I mean, you, and I think it's especially been true during COVID pandemic when um, a lot of doctors are working insane hours, right? And um, just having to put themselves through hell and back to save the overflowing amount of patients um, that are coming into their emergency departments, coming into their hospitals. So burnout is an enormous issue. And I mean, it gets into the question in part that what's motivating you? What's keeping you in? And I think that if you're doing it because someone told you to do it way back when, right, that's not going to keep you, that's not going to keep you motivated. That's not going to keep you going when times get tough. I think conversely, if you went into it really because you have this intense love and passion for the field and um, just what it means to be a doctor, I think that can sustain you. And it's not perfect. Everyone experiences burnout. Yeah. But 
and maybe that helps you sustain you more mm -hmm. than if you didn't have the right reasons. And I'll also say that some people, they develop the reasons, right? That's they develop true. the right reasons during That's the process. Yeah. They might go into it for the wrong reason. Well, quote, unquote, wrong reason. I don't want to say any reason that's particularly yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah. But um, then they, they start to love it during the process. I've mm -hmm. had mentors who have told me that they went in because um, they're Asian and they're, <laughs> <laughs> their parents were like, you're either doctor or engineer and they didn't like engineering. Yeah, doctor. <laughs> so, I mean, it's not to say that you can't ever develop that passion, right? If you go into it for money, for example, but I think it is something that is important to develop at some point, um, just because it's a hard path and it's a hard job. Um, you're doing, you're doing some of the like, most difficult work ever impacting a human beings life, saving them, improving, the, saving their life, improving their quality of life. And it takes a certain amount of willpower, a certain amount of dedication in order to do that job effectively. Mm, yeah, that was a great answer. Wow. I think burnout, I mean, everyone will experience right. it, but you know, for those who really love the medicine and love the, the field, um, I think that passion, I think you have to have a really strong passion right. for it. And that strong passion will um, be really helpful in pulling you out of those seasons of burnout. Um, yeah, just to kind of reflect more on you. Um, so why do you want to go into, you said you want to be a cardiothoracic yeah. surgeon. Um, why such a specific field and why surgery? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I don't have the, I don't have as good as an answer for going to medicine. <laughs> but no, I think that um, in high school, I sent about 100 cold emails um, wanting to do research. I sent them all over the place, all over the place um, to doctors in every different specialty. And um, very, very template email, right? Just like insert name here, yep. insert specialty here, right? Um, and one responded to me, um, a cardiac surgeon at Stanford. Um, I did research with him. I've been doing research with him for four years now. And um, that's where a lot of my exposure has come in. So part of the reason why I want to go right now is mm -hmm. honestly, that's much of what I've seen. Mm -hmm. um, and I've seen, I've seen a bunch of amazing things. I've seen uh, like operations on a neonatal mice heart, wow. um, mouse heart. Um, where they're so tiny that in order to anesthetize them, you put them in ice, oh. um, just so that because that slows everything down. Oh. Um, I've seen like a, a coronary artery bypass graft on a sheep, right, mm -hmm. and um, assisted in the most um, tangential way possible. Mm -hmm. But I mean, just having that exposure, seeing that, it's really incredible. Yeah. And I think um, right now, at the moment, I'm leaning more towards thoracic surgery or lung and esophageal surgery. Mm -hmm. And for me, um, what is really inspiring about that is the public health aspect okay. of, of that in the sense that lung cancer is the deadliest cancer in the US. Yeah. So as a thoracic surgeon, you have the opportunity not only to really save patients with lung cancer, um, the outcomes are very good with early surgery, um, but also have the opportunity to really increase, uh, try to make an impact on lung cancer advocacy, mm -hmm. which unfortunately hasn't reached the same level as breast cancer or colon cancer in terms of awareness, mm -hmm. right? in part because of stigma and part because of a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's, I mean, that's really interesting and that's just, I mean, motivating. Um, I'm sure it'll change. Yeah. Uh, maybe it won't, but um, <laughs> I will check back in in a couple of years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll have but, you back on yeah, yeah. <laughs> soon. But more generally for surgery, uh, why I'm interested in surgery, that too, I think is partly um, driven by the interest in cardiovascular surgery. Yeah. But I think for me, I guess my justification that I'm making now is that I think there's something incredibly powerful about um, sort of the physicality of surgery, the yeah. being able to um, like visibly make an impact, right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. In, in the worst way possible because you make this huge scar. Right. And this <laughs> but I mean, it's I mean, it's just incredible to think about that. Mm. I mean, I'll take coronary artery bypass graft, the surgery I mentioned on the sheep, right? You have a clogged artery, right? Your, the artery that feeds the heart, 
right? And what you do is a surgeon goes in, right? Takes a, takes a conduit or takes a like, vessel from a different part of your body, right? Whether that's from your leg or your arm, right? Or somewhere else and goes around the blockage, right? They, um, and stitch it on one end, stitch it on the other end so that the blood can flow. That's, that's incredible, yeah. right? I mean, um, some people might say, oh, that's the plumbing, but, <laughs> but, but I, think that, I think that's really awesome. Yeah, I and I think that's, yeah. I mean, there's just something so, so artful and so mm-hmm. amazing about just witnessing it. And I imagine even doing it. And I think that's what's pushing me in that direction right now. Yeah, wow. Um, I think as a surgeon, you play a very unique role. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do you think, hmm, I guess like thinking about your future yeah. as a surgeon and like how you will treat your patients, do you think um, like, I think for me, one thing I'm really worried about is like the emotional side yeah. of going into medicine. I think I'm a really sensitive person yeah. and it might be really hard for me to, to, to detach myself. Um, I think particularly in surgery, you know, like the patient's life literally rests yeah. in your hands. Um, so how do you think that you will navigate um, like the emotional side? There is a famous quote from a French surgeon. Um, I believe I, I won't, I don't want to miss what his name, but I'll just summarize the quote. It is essentially saying that every surgeon uh, within them carries a graveyard, uh, mm-hmm. a graveyard where they come back to from time to time to pray. Um, and the idea being that this is the graveyard of their patients, the patients mm-hmm. who have died. So it's something that, I mean, it's inevitable. It's going to happen, unfortunately. Um, you're going to have difficult cases. You're going to make mistakes, unfortunately. Um, but the question, I mean, the question is, are you, did, you, did you do your best? Mm-hmm. Did you, did you do your level best to um, do right by the patient, uh, save the patient, um, every, throw everything you have into it? And every every death is going to hurt and i i've seen uh, patients pass away and it's and it's heartbreaking mm. and the the question in those moments is it's something that you have to always remember always keep them in your hearts because that's your responsibility at the very least um remembering um their trust and their um ability i mean they put their life in hands in yours and as long and i think if you do your right by you you can mm. you can go another day um and i think it's it's an awesome responsibility um, to have someone's life um, be be under your hands, mm-hmm. um, and it's something that should be treated with respect. It's someone something that should be treated with the utmost austerity. Um, but yeah, it's difficult. I mean, there's no way to really parse it any yeah. other way. Um, but just to recognize that you're able to do a lot more good. You're able mm-hmm. to save a lot of people, and um, and that's what keeps you motivated. And you, you never forget the people you lose. You never, and I think that's important. Um, that's more to do the humanity of the profession. That's important to making sure like your empathy is, is still intact because it is. I mean, surgeons can get sort of um, immune to sort of the pain and of losing a patient. Mm-hmm. And that's something I never want to do. I want every patient death to hit me as hard as the first time, mm-hmm. um, just because it it reminds you of what this job means, what this responsibility means, and what the patient is entrusting in you. Mm. That's interesting. Do you think that that immunity, I guess, um, or maybe that apathy to yeah. patient's death, do you think that that immunity is maybe necessary? Um, to a certain extent, maybe, because it's, I mean, it is protective, right? It's trying that you can't, you can't go on every day if you're just being sort of 
um, thrown into a state of depression with every patient death, especially if you're going to something like neurosurgery, yeah. right, where you're going to have a lot of problems. So I think in part it is perhaps necessary, but I, I want I want to think differently. I want to think mm. that because there's something you definitely lose when you yeah. have that apathy, yeah. when you don't you you don't treat every patient death like that first yeah. one. I think there are ways that you can develop coping mechanisms, and I think those are important to develop. But I still feel that um, the emotional aspect should mm. always be retained. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, you don't want to lose that, that yeah. humanity. Right. Um, which is a great segue into <laughs> my next question of why medical ethics, like why the humanitarian side of it? Yeah. I mean, I think this is something that's a little bit trite to say, but I mean, a lot of people, they treat the disease. They don't treat the patient. Um, and I, I, I mean, it's trite and sort of everybody says it, but I think there's a real truth to that. Um, because it's all too often to see a patient as a list of symptoms, right? And a puzzle to solve. And um, that's, that's all well and good. And some doctors, they do very well with that kind of mentality. But you miss the patient on the other side of it. You miss the human on the other side of it that's coming to you for help, that's coming to you um, with a sincere um, question and problem. And when you think about it in such a um, biomedical model as a lot of the um, sciences, like sort of encourage, right, that thinking about, oh, this hormone and this, uh, the Krebs cycle and all mm-hmm. that. Um, I think you lose that, humanity. you lose that aspect of the patient who, who is um, maybe is anxious, maybe um, is not telling you the full truth because they're worried or, and there's just all these different aspects and competing factors that I think a more humanities-based education really gets at, mm-hmm. right, from I'm studying the history of medicine. Mm-hmm. And for me, the history is one way to think critically about how medicine has developed as a field. How has it promoted inequities? How has it historically excluded certain um, physicians? How has it um, systematically um, disvalued certain patients? Mm -hmm. And thinking of how can we use that history and knowing that history, what can we do to Mm -hmm. shape our future and and even the present? Uh, We shouldn't put the onus only on the future. We can can start changing things today. Mm -hmm. But I think the history, ethics, music, all these aspects, they teach you different aspects of the human condition. Mm -hmm. And as a physician, you're interacting with every aspect of the human condition, Mm -hmm. right? And just to come at it with a science-based perspective, I think, misconstrues what it means Mm -hmm. to be a doctor. And it just, you miss out on a bunch of things. I think some of the best doctors that I've been to, um, like, really get at my history. And I was reading it, I was reading a book I don't remember who it was by. It was by a famous neurosurgeon, um, but it's called like What Happened to You or something like that. And it was basically all about how um, a lot of doctors ask like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. And that's really looking at, at the science, at the, the purely like medicine side, um, looking at your symptoms. But it's really missing um, the big question of what happened to you and like asking um, questions about your background, right. your history and like digging into that. And, you know, the, the author was explaining, like, once you get into those kinds of questions, like, that's where the answer lies. Um, and, yeah, I think that that's, I think medicine is, like, actually one of the most holistic practices um, you could ever go into. Um, and I think that's for me, like, for me, that's what's really appealing about it. Um, but I want to ask you just one more question, and then I kind of want to shift it to more, like, the Harvard sure, sure. side. Um, but what are your thoughts on the future to medicine being so strict and long or quote unquote strict um like when you look ahead towards your future 
you know, you said like four years med school, seven years training, all that. Like, how do you feel? Like what sort of emotions, I guess, arise? Yeah. I mean, I think there's no way of getting around it. It's long, right? And it's like, um, I think part of the reason people don't go into medicine, even though they might have like, uh, they might love the profession, love the idea of it, is that it's a, it's a lot to give up. Yeah. In the sense that like your 20s, many people think of your primary life. And if you're going into medicine, <laughs> you're, you're going to be spending the primary life in a hospital. Um, and you're going to be, you're going to be doing, working really long hours or studying and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and I think I can appreciate why that's long. And I, I understand it's long. But for me, I think this is a mentality that I'm, I have been trying to cultivate. And I, I hope I've been successful. Is the idea that if today was my last day on earth. I'd be doing exactly what I would be doing today. Mm. The idea being that I want to, down the road, be the best cardiovascular surgeon I can be and help most patients and make the most impact um, on people and just uh, in terms of saving lives, in terms of improving lives and whatnot. And what I'm doing today is in service of that goal. And I'm fairly confident of that, fairly assured of that. Um, so I guess it guides me through this sort of long process. No doubt it's long. No doubt it's going to take time. But it's all in service of that greater goal. It's all in service of that mission to really do something great for patients, really um, make an impact in a way that um, I can't do without a medical degree. I can't do without that training. Mm -hmm. um, it's needed, right? And they're not like, let's make it long for no good reason, right? Mm -hmm. They're it's doing a it, lot. it's a lot, they're, it's mm -hmm. a lot, but, they're, uh, but the process is set up in that way so that you're able to do that great work, do that noble profession. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and I guess it, in some ways it makes it all the more rewarding to go through that at the end and be able to say that I'm a, I'm licensed, I'm, I'm, an, I'm a doctor. Mm -hmm. And um, what that means is, I mean, just really incredible and really inspiring. So I think it's the light at the end of the tunnel that yeah. keeps you going. <laughs> okay, I think I want to kind of shift the, the episode a little mm -hmm. to more Harvard specific. So... What has your experience been like being a pre-med at Harvard? Like, what do you think about the community, um, mm -hmm. the mentality, the people? Yeah, the I classes? mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I think that in general, I've had a good experience. Mm -hmm. um, in general, I've enjoyed my time at Harvard more generally as a as just a student and also as a pre-med. Um, I think there are certain aspects to being a pre-med that are not so great, of course. Um, I think the classes are not necessarily structured to get at what it means to be a doctor, to get at sort of the most important fundamental aspects of physicians, which are some of the reasons we talked about earlier. Either all, the, all the required classes, or most all the required classes, are very science-based. Um, they don't have a humanities focus, an explicit humanities focus. And it gets into the question, what traits are we selecting for um, in our future doctors? Uh, what traits are med uh, medical schools selecting for? Oh, that you can get an A in, organic chemistry, that doesn't seem like the greatest trait to select for, um, in the sense that you want doctors with empathy, you want doctors who are going into it um, really because they care about patients and they have these, these what we mentioned before, with the quote unquote right reasons. Um, but right now you're just selecting in some ways for the person who can edge out their classmates on the curve, yeah. right? Who um, might not be willing to collaborate because they know that if you do better, right, that hurts their chance of doing yeah. it as well. I think that mentality is really destructive. Mm -hmm. um, thankfully, I haven't seen as much of it um, yet. Um, yeah. I'll say yet because I don't know. Um, I'm sh I mean, pre-med more generally gets bad rap for being cutthroat and um, very competitive. But I think that 
it's it gets at sort of what kind of personality you cultivate and what kind of people you surround yourself with. Because I think that, I mean, that was one of my concerns coming into Harvard, that I'd be at a place where people were really um, cutthroat more generally and they didn't want to collaborate. I mean, Harvard doesn't have a great reputation for a place of like happiness and collaboration. Mm. So um, one of the alum- alumni from my high school told me that, I mean, you're going to have good people, you're going to have bad people everywhere. Um, the question is, who do you surround yourself with? What kind of um, what kind of person do you want to be? And I think that's very true. I think, I mean, um, I've met some of the kindest, most sympathetic people at Harvard, right? And then I've met people that I wouldn't really want to associate much with at Harvard. Yeah. But I associate with the latter, uh, associate with the former and not the latter. Yeah. And I have that opportunity. There's enough people at Harvard to be able to do that. That's true. Um, but I guess uh, getting to your logical question about being pre-med at Harvard, um, I mean, I think it's doable. <laughs> I think the classes are sometimes a drag, but you go through it because of that larger um, goal, the larger idea of what you want to be. And then all along the way, you try to supplement your education and sort of your knowledge through more interesting classes like art, gen ed, medical arts, and history. Mm. That gives you that broader, more holistic perspective and prepares you for being a better doctor down the road. Mm, yeah. Um, so like, what are your thoughts on exploring other fields, I guess? Oh, I think it's I think it's necessary. I think yeah. uh, last year, um, I didn't take any two classes in the same department mm-hmm. um, because I wanted to explore. I, I mean, <laughs> don't get me wrong, they're all somewhat science or medicine related, but um, they gave me different perspectives. I took a psychology class, a sociology class, a class at the Chan School, um, and so, so many more in all these different departments. Um, but the idea being that how do you build that perspective? And right? if we talk about the human experience and just made of these different components, how do you build and understanding of those components. You have to venture broadly. Um, and, and that's what I appreciate about our major, <laughs> history of science. Mm-hmm. It gives you a lot of flexibility to make these sort of travels mm-hmm. and um, explore more widely than I think I could have if I was um, MCB, molecular cellular biology mm-hmm. concentrator. Mm-hmm. Um, where I would be required to take all these science classes mm-hmm. and then anything else would be on the side. Yeah. But this is making exploration of the main course, yeah. um, which is what I enjoy, is what I think will benefit me a lot down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, like be, being able to know about stigma, being able to know about the law, being able to know about ethics, mm-hmm. right? And bringing those different perspectives into one one experience on one um, position, I think is powerful. Yeah, I also think that like those hard science classes will come in med school, definitely. Yeah. And I think like while we're at a school like Harvard yeah. with such an amazing liberal arts education like taking advantage of that Mm -hmm. i think is really is going to be really rewarding for us um yeah uh i guess like in terms of opportunity and um like finding connections at harvard Mm -hmm. do you think that um the school does a good job of of really giving students who are interested in medicine opportunities to go and, and maybe shadow or get clinical experience um, and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I think, to be honest, I don't think the onus is really on the school for that. Mm. Um, they can provide guidance and they can provide sort of just like, oh, this is how you send cold email, here's these resources. But I think more generally, I mean, we, I mean the Harvard email is a powerful email, right? And I think uh, for me, I've sent probably thousands, if not tens of thousands of cold emails in my life, mm-hmm. right? And uh, that's just sort of the way of, the way I've been, I, I navigate things, right? Yeah. That, um, you're going to get a lot of no's, but you only need one yes. So um, 
if you want a shadow, right, just send out 10 emails, if, if not 100, right, um, to physicians saying that here's who I am, right, here's, um, this is what I would like to do. I appreciate um, talking with you briefly, introducing yourself, and just going from there. Because um, I think the opportunities that a lot of the opportunities that I've had have come from the most unexpected places. They've come from being just tenacious and um, sending out email after email. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the school can do do a, something in sort of supporting that and just telling you that this is the way. And I mean, everybody, there's always better things that people can do better and institutions can do better. But I think more generally, um, I've just found that cold emailing is great, especially yeah. with the Harvard email. Yep, cold emailing honestly is a very powerful technique. It is. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you're looking for a lab, yeah. if you're looking to shadow or anything, just send out your cold emails <laughs> and expect like almost no response. But you know, you gotta shoot your shot. Exactly. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. I don't think I have any more specific questions for you, but. Is there anything else that you would like to mention um, or any anything else you would want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, we've talked a lot about medicine. We've talked a lot about like the different, um, different intersections with medicine. Um, I mean, I think medicine is just such a, as we've spoken about before, such an incredible field mm-hmm. that you're making such an incredible impact. Yeah. And it's not for everyone, um, obviously. And that's for good reason that's not for everyone. Um, but for people who it is for, I mean, I think that we talked about the weed out class, we talked about like um, organic chemistry and whatnot, um, that I think the saddest thing for me is that seeing the people who would be really be great doctors, but drop out of pre-med um, because they go through these classes and they're just like unbearably difficult for no good reason. And um, I mean, there's, I don't have any, good advice for that, but I just encourage people to <laughs> stick with it yeah. because it really, I mean, we lose a lot when we lose on these great doctors. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there was a Harvard Confessions I saw um, a while back that was, I mean, kind of disheartening, but just saying that, like, I would not want any of the pre the pre-meds I see to be my doctor. Oh. And I mean, that's just, that's just so sad. And I mean, but I, I can see why that person would say that, right? Um, when some of the premiums you meet are just very cutthroat, they're not nice people, they're not, like, they're willing to say, oh, I want to do all these things, but not willing to actually do it when mm. it happens with their friend or whatnot. It can be sometimes very selfish. Um, so, I mean, I think, well, there's not a great answer to, like, how do you change these pe- those people? I think that ch- change people is hard in general, and sometimes not even worth it. Um, but th- maybe you can make an impact and a dent in that by making sure that the people who are really great and really would be great doctors stick with medicine and they don't they don't get lost in the weed out process. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it starts with every one of our actions, right? Mm-hmm. And instead of like um, saying that, oh, sorry, I uh, can't work on pizza with you or something like that, <laughs> yeah. right? Just being more collaborative, being more willing to help people and work with other people mm-hmm. and just Training it more as a team. I think yeah. um, some classes do a better job of encouraging that than others. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I think it, it has to be, our goal has to be broader than getting into medical school yeah. because we're going to be part of the medical profession and um, we want to make sure that there's trust in that, that pe- people still feel that they can go there and um, feel cared for and feel that they're valued. Yeah. And if I, I, I worry that if we continue with sort of our current like, way of selecting medical students and um, developing doctors that we're going to lose that yeah. and 
I think that's I think that's a horrible way to go. Yeah. Oh, I I 100% agree with that. Because um, we're all in the same boat. We're all yeah. trying to get to the same place. Um, I think collaboration is actually really encouraged at Harvard. Yeah. Um, which I, I really appreciate, but you know, you can't like force a student to collaborate. So there definitely are some students who are less willing to. Right. Um, and I think like the the process of selecting doctors has gotten better. Um, whereas before I think it was really like numbers based. Mm -hmm. I think now like they really try to dig at your story. Right. Um, I think your story is really inspiring and I've loved talking with you. Um, yeah, and I've loved hearing your perspective and I hope that any of you guys listening who are maybe considering pre-med, um, you know, you really think about some of the things that we've talked about because I think they're all really important. Um, but yeah, I think that's going to wrap up this episode. Thank you so much, Simmer, for, for joining me on this podcast. Um, yeah, this has been you know, one of the most interesting episodes that I've ever recorded. Um, and even for me as a pre-med, I, I definitely needed some of this advice. Um, but yeah, is there is there anything else? Nothing else. Thank you, Emily, for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, Simmer. Um, yeah, thank you guys for continuing to listen and support. Um, it really means the world to me. And I will see you guys next week for episode 50.